Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Why do millions of Americans choose to sleep on Boland Branch sheets? Is it the 100% organic cotton? Is it that they get softer and softer over time? Customers can't stop raving about these sheets. And there's no better time to try them for yourself or give them to someone you love. Right now, Bolin Branch is offering their best deals of the year. And you can get their incredibly soft sheets at incredibly low prices. Just go to BolinBranch.com to shop their best deals today. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com today. See site for details. Hey guys, I'm Ben Bateman. And I'm Andrew Guy. And we are the Action Guys. Cool. Oh, yeah. I felt really cool. It feels that a time. lot cooler with other people in the room yeah. doing it too. The show's not about us today, though. It's <laughs> Thank not. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> We've done too many of those shows. We have a special guest today, Mr. Joseph Gatt. Thank you very much. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're, we're doing excellent. Way better now that you're here. We just we just saw you in Dumbo. You kicked ass. You look even more yoked in person. You, I'm totally yeah, I was, blown away. Yeah, Niles Skellig. Uh, yeah. Nice. We knew you were in great shape, but holy shit, man. Like, yeah. You are in <laughs> phenomenal shape. Well, I didn't even wear my tightest T-shirt today. Okay. You took it easy like, on us. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, you know. Thank yeah. God. Thank <laughs> God. Ben and I do very good. We try very hard to stay in shape, but he has put us to shame. I'm emasculated. Yeah. Right now, I feel that, I feel, I feel that way. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, Joe, we're so very happy to have you in the studio. And based <laughs> off of Dumbo coming out, this is kind of the reason or the inspiration for the topic this week on the show, which is the greatest actor-director duos of history in yeah, film history. In film history, and and one of those duos is the duo that uh, you know is toplining this film that you were just in, and we got to watch it, which was really exciting. And so we can't wait to kind of pick your brain about that, and also just hear your inspirations as an actor, as yeah. you've actually been in several of our favorite films, which is exciting. Have I? Yeah. Oh, I mean, we're giant MCU yeah. fans. I mean, if okay. you, I guess, I guess Game of Thrones is not technically a film, but it's well, at this point it feels like one. Yeah, yeah we right. love True Detective, so yeah, it, you've just you've shown up in so many places. I cannot wait to just because I. I also like to act from time to time, so I cannot wait to talk to you more about your inspirations and, and basically where you came from, because it's very interesting. So the question yeah. of today's show is, who is the greatest actor-director or actress-director combo in history? We have a whole list that we are going to get to in a little bit here. couple quick shout-outs before we get into the main topic and talking to you about your career, sir. Uh, you guys can watch the full version of this video on uh, the Action Industries YouTube uh, page. You guys are going to get a clip of this. Probably this clip right now is the one you're watching, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. The full audio version, obviously, is going to be available as a download on the Collider Movie Talk podcast feed, which is where you guys can listen to this. Uh, and the third shout-out is Go See Dumbo this weekend. Yeah, please. Go See Dumbo. It was so fun. Dumbo is so adorable, and you are so wicked in it. It is Excellent. And uh, take your Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> yes, abso absolutely. Really sad. Yeah, it was a very, it was like a very emotionally, I've realized as I've gotten into my 30s, I just cry a lot more. Like, I just tear up yeah. or well up or I'm like, things will happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of like feeling I, I kind of do the same thing as well. Like, we can be watching the most random TV show or movie and then I'll get all emotional and start crying. Yeah. 
And I'm like, baby, why am I crying over this? And she's like, it's okay, baby. You can yeah. cry. It's fine. <laughs> I have no idea why I decided to go and watch the uh, a handful of the beginning of the animated, like the beginning of Up. I went oh. and watched that, and I went and watched <gasps> Bow, the one oh, yeah. with the, and I was just crying. I was yeah. just crying for like 10 minutes. So anyway, that was my weekend. Uh, uh, I think the first 10 minutes of Up, we've talked about it on the show before, is the saddest 10 minutes in the 21st century for film. It, I, it, how do you not cry? It's the saddest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> all right, so enough about us crying. Our social plus, guys, you can find us at Team Action Show on Twitter. You can find us at Action Industries on Instagram. Please go and follow at Meet Joe Gat, our wonderful guest. Yeah. And uh, that's enough plugging. Let's just get right into it. Let's get into the show. Let's do it. Uh, all right, first question. How many calories per day do you have to consume <laughs> to maintain the physique? Be honest. Um, I should be consuming around 3,000 calories or more. And I generally am very lazy when it comes to my eating. Even though I eat pretty well, I, I barely get 2,000 calories. Like, I don't know how I haven't turned into a 100-pound waif. Oh, when you say you're lazy, you don't eat lazily. You just don't eat as much as you should. I don't eat as much as I should. I thought you were saying, like, with your diet plan, you're kind of lazy with sticking to it, and somehow you're still shredded, but... No, no, I... I, I, <laughs> I, I that The problem with eating really healthy, especially eating that many calories healthy, is... It's hard work. Oh, it is. Because, you know, there are only so many protein shakes you can have and only right. so many protein bars you can eat. You know, you need to eat real food. And it's, it's tough prepping that food every day. And, and it's it can be really tiresome. But oh, it gets so redundant. We're actually not even going to talk about movies at all today. No, we're just going to keep no, it's, just, it's, just, <laughs> it's funny because every actor that gets interviewed exactly, exactly in this situation where, you know, an actor takes really great care of their body. They say the same thing. To stay big, you're eating, like, all these, like, naked pieces of chicken and, like, all this stuff. It just gets, like, you, it's uncomfortable to eat as much as you have to. Yeah. And especially the guys like a Chris Evans or somebody who was, like, pretty small before and he has to get huge. Everybody always talks about that. It's just, like, an yeah. uncomfortable experience to eat that But much. luckily for those guys, they only have to do it for about three months before they work on a movie. Right. I do it every day. Is it, no, you know, it's, it's just because this is, this is my life. So I, I'm I, – I, you know, I've been like this ever since I was young, very athletic and in shape, and it's just been a very important thing to me. Um, whereas, you know, you see, you, you hear about, you know, your A-list actors, and they're talking about, you know, having to go on these horrendous diets and right. and train really hard and stuff and do this. I'm like, but you guys are being paid millions of dollars to do this for a couple of months. I do this every day. You know, it's just... It, it, it's a, there's a balance. Well, well so yeah. yeah. So this has got to be some sort of, uh, I mean, a part of your routine and part of like keeping you balanced in the world and part of keeping you on track. Because you know, we've talked about this a lot. And getting older, we're just getting into our thirties now. It's 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 really important to build. babies. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I don't feel that way, but I appreciate it. <laughs> but the routine, the routine for excellence is like such a big, big thing. And and uh, I didn't want to cut you off. Did you have something you want to say about? Well, that? I was going to actually ask you. You said you've been this way since a young age. Yeah. yeah. And you grew up in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what was the thing in your life? that brought you towards that, living that kind of lifestyle that's then got you here? I mean, what inspired you to be um, I was always kind of athletic. You know, I played soccer as a kid. Sorry for all those Brit people, <laughs> football. Um, yeah, I've been in America so long now. I was going to say, wow. Soccer yeah. now. I know. Yeah. did that for um, You know that soccer is actually the original thing that it was called before we called it football. It was called soccer before it was ever called football. I'm going to keep this clip with me for any time that anyone I'm telling you, I have this, this, I have this conversation <laughs> every time a, one of my English friends you know, it gives me a hard time for calling it soccer. I'm like, actually, it was called soccer way before it was called football. Interesting. So anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> no, uh, um, my hair fell out. I had alope got alopecia okay. when I was like 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, when you're when you, when you spend most of your youth being ostracized, bullied, being called ugly, blah blah blah, all of this stuff. I cannot do it. Couldn't do anything to change this. Yeah, this was the way it was. And when I finally got myself together and decided that I wanted to continue on in this world, I thought, what can I do? to empower myself. And one of those things was I can change my body. I can change my physique. Um, that's something I have complete control over. And so I started working out, started doing martial arts, joined the military, did all kinds of different things and played, did a lot more sports, you know, played semi-professional soccer for a while, played rugby. Um, and then it just became part of my life, just just fitness, going to the gym. I, I started lifting weights when I was like 19. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. So it's actually – 19 is actually relatively late for a lot of people yeah. who, who, who get into fitness. That's a pretty like late age to start with yeah. the weights. Um, were you – I mean you're you're a pretty built guy. Before you started lifting, were you naturally kind of built or were you smaller? No, I was very I, – I, my height was there. Yeah. But I was incredibly skinny. What do you think, 6'1", 6'2"? 6'1". 6'1", okay. Yeah. But my upper body, I was very skinny. I always had large legs yeah. uh, from playing soccer. Um, but my upper body was incredibly skinny. I remember the first day – I was able to stand in front of my mirror, and I held my arms out, and I couldn't see my ribs. Ah. And it was just muscle. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, it's working. <laughs> you know, that was a, a, great, a very memorable moment for me because I was all skin and bones, upper body. Well, and that turned into a modeling career, right? This is you, a very, very successful modeling career. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing modeling. There was a moment when I was doing really well when I was actually working in Milan uh, modeling for people like Levi's and Armani, people like that, you yeah. know, having a great time. There's nothing like being paid to live in Milan. It's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but the, the, the thing about modeling, it's there's nothing – it's fun for a short period of time, but there's nothing substantial to it. Yeah, I, I actually couldn't – oh, sorry. Sorry, go on. I was going to say I couldn't agree more, and I was actually going to ask you about, you know, based off what we'd read, that you clearly had a different career path for you as a child, and, and then you said you kind of fell into modeling and stuff. What – was it from there that made you turn from away from sports, away from modeling, and, and really want to lean into acting, something that was more fulfilling for you? Because I know we've both done modeling, and it's yeah. it's a great paycheck, you know, but it's a yeah. boring ass. Working day really hard to be good looking is a tough thing to work hard <laughs> well, at. That's not a very fulfilling endeavor. Yeah. Exactly, you know, ha hanging around wearing all those beautiful clothes, hanging around with beautiful people. It's a it's tough terrible. job. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. Um, no, I mean, I, I. Funny enough, Top Gun. The film Top Gun. The, the, the first film Top Gun, um, the original 1985, uh, incredible movie that it was. Uh, it just it changed my life. Okay. Because when I was a kid, I always wanted to fly jets. I wanted to join the RAF. Yeah. And uh, found out I couldn't do that because I was colorblind. I found out I was colorblind when I was 13, and that the stress from finding that out and finding out that I couldn't be a pilot. It's probably what led to the alopecia happening. The stress triggered the alopecia and the hair loss. And so I went through, obviously, a, a, a very bad period where I was learning how to deal with all of this and the bullying and everything that went along with it. And I started doing um, a part-time acting course at my local college just as something to fill in the time. And, and a lot of people told me it would be something that would help me get some confidence in myself. And I actually found I started to enjoy this thing. Hmm. And I remember my acting teacher at the time, and God forgive me, I can never remember her name, but she was instrumental in changing my life because she said to me, you know, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you audition for a drama school? 
I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you mean actually go to drama school? And so I said, yeah, you should audition for a drama school. You know, there's some great places you can go to. I'll help you work on your audition speeches and stuff. She did. I auditioned. And that was it. I got into drama school. And um, I just completely fell in love with this thing called acting. And even, you know, my career started off singing. Yeah. You know, and that's something I'd never done before. And I learned how to sing and found out that this was another thing that I enjoyed and loved and got a lot of employment when I first graduated doing musical theater and, and, <laughs> and stuff. And, and just I completely fell in love with this thing called acting. And, and yeah, that and the great thing about acting as well that, that really inspired me was that, you know, when you're a kid and you're watching these movies and TV shows that you love, these people are doing all these incredible things. Yeah that you can never do in real life. Right. And <clears throat> Top Gun, you know, happened. Yeah. And, and I think if I cannot fly jets in real life, maybe I can be an actor and do it, you know, as an acting job. Well, <laughs> and the crazy thing, too, about that is, like, as, as uh, you know, things develop more and more, and, 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 these, and actors have to do so much now to do the role. You look at, like, look at like Rami Malek, and it's like... yeah. He basically just got to be a rock star, yep. right? That's right. He, he did Wembley. Like he had to – and you look at like these things. So it's like more and more is asked of somebody that to the point that what you're saying is true, you do get the experience. You yeah. got to actually feel like – I mean Cruz is my favorite ever. He's my, he's my guy. And I've read a lot and watched a lot of the interviews about him doing Top Gun. And he had to learn to fly jets. I mean that's, yeah. Yeah. he actually can do it now. He flies jets. I remember an interview that he did quite a while ago and, and he said that – um, he tries to learn a new skill with every, every role movie, he plays, right? yeah. whether it be you know juggling cocktails, you know fly, uh, driving fast cars. He's his love for, for for driving. He's he has an incredible love for motorcycles and cars. It comes from doing Days of Thunder. Yep. And he learned to drive sports cars, racing cars, doing that movie, and he's continued doing that. You know, it's and and, and that's such a great privilege that we have as actors. We yeah. have access to all of those things that a lot of People who are not in, I was going to say regular people, but that's not really fair. <laughs> Just people who are not in the industry don't right. have access to. You know, I, I've met so many incredible people through my work and, and, had, and been able to experience so many amazing things that I would never have been able to experience had I not become an actor. Yeah. And I will always be grateful to that. Like, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, I mean, 100%. And, and speaking about you <clears throat> working, I mean, we talked a lot about these some of these massive name projects that you worked on. Uh, but one of the very first things, I believe the first film you ever did was Orpheus and Eurydice. Is that right? Oh, God, yeah. And you were across from Oliver Reed, who was one of the most famous, celebrated actors ever. The late, great Oliver the Reed. The late, great. You I know? think it was one of Proximo. the last things that he did before yeah. he died of a heart attack drunk in a pub in Malta. Yep. Yeah, during, um, during Gladiator. During Gladiator. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was, again, I only actually met him once because most of the stuff that he did was voiceover, narr mm. narration on that movie. But, again, it, it, it was this thing that came out of nowhere. They flew us out to Greece, put us up in Athens in this beautiful hotel. We got to work doing this, you know, in period costume. And um, it was all set, you know, around Greek uh, gods uh, kind of era. Uh and it was just a fantastic experience. And he was kind of a, f a funny guy. When I, he was just, he's just so, such a big character, mm. you know. And, and the one time that we all met him and he came to set and stuff, it was just, it was just great. He just acted like 
he'd been our best friend for years. Yeah. It was it was kind of fantastic. I mean, speaking of in, in period piece costume, so much of the work that you've done has had you in like heavy makeup, yeah. crazy costumes, like period stuff. Do you feel more at home as an actor in something like you're wearing now or in that stuff? In, in anything from heavy makeup to like giant, I don't know, Viking. You know, I'm a big fan of the hundreds. So I watch that yeah. show a lot. Like, I mean, which one is more comfortable for you? You know, I, I love all of it as long as it's there uh, uh, to help with the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what it is I have to wear or not wear. Um, but if it's something that's uh, um, pertinent to. Um, um, displaying the character or helping the character then it's then it's it's going to be fun to wear except working on game of thrones <laughs> that was i mean it, god bless him the thing about game of thrones is the wardrobe they produce is not it's all real right yeah. like nothing is made for camera kind of thing it's it's made as if they were making real clothes and the wardrobe that we were wearing was real it was it was leather furs uh, um thick wool um i even had wood on my costume on my wardrobe jesus <laughs> and i remember we were shooting in iceland and you think iceland's going to be freezing cold it's right. going to be fine all of that stuff so we arrived at the location where we were shooting the first scene which was the raid on the viking village and uh when we were rehearsing the scene it was freezing cold that day it, it you know it was about 25 degrees it's pretty cold, and, and the wardrobe felt fantastic. I'm like, this is great. And it's a big sequence, lots of fighting and stuff, and I'm grabbing kids and throwing them around, you know, the usual stuff. <laughs> the usual Saturday. Game of Thrones thing. <laughs> no elephants, but kids this time. Um, but then the next day we show up to set, and it's like, you know, in the high 70s. And we're like, oh, my God. It's this, we're looking for clouds, like hoping that it was going to cool down. No, it didn't cool down. We were all dying of heat exhaustion the whole day in between every shot there were all of these uh wardrobe assistants who were quickly whipping off all of our tops and jackets and stuff so that we could cool down a little bit between shots oh my god it was horrible we're like you know running down this hill with heavy swords and stuff and (laughs) and we're like (gasps) (laughs) it was yeah that was tough that sounds like one of those moments that i would imagine and you guys are actors. I'm just the host over here. But I would imagine that, like, you're like, ah, what, am I do- what am I doing? What am I doing in this moment? I, I, I feel like personally I would be like, I'm giving up. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm not doing this. I'd, and I'd be like – But it's Game of Thrones, I'd be man. worried that I would come right. off as a diva, of course, which I think probably most actors who feel that way, it's exactly what happens and just tough it out. But I would be like, yeah, <laughs> take this stuff off of me. I'm going home. <laughs> no, you know what? It was – in the back of your mind, you kind of think that a little bit. But then – you take a moment and you take a breath and you look around and you think, this is kind of awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're going to be the coolest you know, thing You're just world. like, I mean, really? I'm this in is, Iceland okay. sweating right now. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not going to complain about overheating. I'm working on Game of Thrones. This is fine. And then when you see like, you know, we, we were doing the uh, uh, the Battle of Castle Black and it was all shot in this quarry in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, just north of Belfast. And, and Castle Black is a full set uh, built in the in the bottom of this quarry and it was all night shoots, uh, freezing cold, raining every you know every moment. Oh my God, mud up to knees, and you're just like, wow, this would never fly on a sack, you know, project. This is ridiculous. And you're looking around, and then you see Kit Harrington's there, and he's just doing his thing, and yeah. Rose Leslie's doing her thing, and we're like, 
God damn, let's just get on with this. Right. Yeah, fine. right. You know, it's just, <laughs> just got to do the work. Getting paid to roll around in mud it's and pretty do cool. stuff. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So it's like, you know, you have your complaints and then you put it all in perspective. And you're like, no, this is great. So on the subject then of, you know, getting to wear that type of wardrobe, was it refreshing for you that in probably the most visible starring performance that you've gotten to be in a Disney film, you were in a suit looking super just like fly and just like yeah, you clean? Awesome. I Crisp. loved it. It was like the first time Yeah. Ever. I think I've worn anything of that type. <laughs> and thank you, Colleen Atwood, for, for designing a beautiful suit for me and, and those boots. Oh, those um, boots are so awesome. Yeah, it was I, – I mean, I posted a picture on my Instagram, and I was, I was I'm finally able to post because it came out in this book that just got released of the full outfit and the full wardrobe. And I'm like, yeah, that looks pretty badass. Yeah, you look great. Yeah. What, Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah of course you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's funny is, is, is Ben and I were watching the movie earlier on. And I mean, obviously, the beginning of the movie. And we're like, the bad guy, the like elephant herder in the beginning was the bad guy. We're like, that's not him, though. We're, we're like, that's, that's a lot. Of, yeah. That's a lot of makeup on Joe. Yeah. That's Joe, right? Now. <laughs> and, then you, and then the character. Oh, I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, 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 and then yeah. and then you yeah. find out when you're actually revealed later on. We're like, oh, there no. he, is. he was just the appetizer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, okay, no, so, is great though. He's a great man. Uh, on the topic of Dumbo, you know, we were just talking about these crazy sets. Uh, a bit about this set that Tim Burton had built. I heard was just absolutely mesmerizing in the sense of having hundreds of not extras but like performance level extras just doing just living on set doing incredible juggling fire breathing whatever it was oh, yeah uh talk to me a little bit about you know being on this grand scale of a set with such a big name as tim burton and kind of you know his amazing imagination what it was like there every day it was it was it was a big surprise to me because you know tim has used different uh, uh, methods, different amounts of VFX depending on the type of movies he's done. Like obviously, you know, like with Batman, they built these massive sets. Um, with something like I think Alice in Wonderland, it was nearly all green screen. You know, it's like you, you never know what you're going to get with Tim and how he's going to work. So I didn't know what to expect. The first time I walked onto the sets at Pinewood Studios, um, we literally, I mean, Dumbo, I say we, Dumbo had seven sound stages at, at, Pinewood Studios. The other half of Pinewood Studios was all solo at the time. And every single one of these stages was full of these huge sets. Hmm. And the first set I walked on, first set I walked onto was the set of Medici Circus. Okay. And they built the full circus tent inside the soundstage. Wow. So you walk in there and, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> what is, this is amazing. And all the colors and the design, everything, it, it was just magical yeah it, it's like you're being transported to a different place um and you don't have to watch the movie to do it you're right there as an actor and and i think that's one of the things i know that you know that michael felt the same way danny colin you know eva that he gave us so much with regards to how much set was built and and the wardrobe and everything that we literally we didn't have to imagine anything I mean, the only thing that they put in there, I think VFX, you know, were, were, they did a lot of obviously background, skies, um, Dumbo, right. obviously. But um, I heard they gave you a lot of help with Dumbo as well. Even with Dumbo, we had a lot of help. We had these beautiful models of Dumbo at different ages yeah, um, so that we could get an idea of um, his size and his lighting and that kind of thing for when they were setting up cameras and stuff. And then we had a guy called Ed Osman who was fantastic. He was in like a little green Dumbo suit 
And he would actually move around and walk, and he was on like little stilts on his hands, and we'd move around on all fours. And he'd have this big green head on with the eyes and everything and the, the trunk. And he'd walk around and act as Dumbo. So he, we would actually have something to act with. It's like your Andy Circus. Yeah, it's like yeah. Sean. It's like Sean Gunn does with Rocket and the and the yeah, Guardians yeah. movies. Yeah. yeah, he jumps on tables and stuff. Same kind of thing. Exactly. And it, it you know, we had so much there. It made it really easy for us. Um, it, it just literally transported you away. And, and we had that scene. You know, the the scenes in Dreamland were even bigger because they were shot up at Cardington Studios, which wow. is which are uh, a massive airship hangars, oh, wow, which okay. are where they built the original sound stages for the Batman movies. Um, and that's where they built Dreamland. They built the whole of the, uh, um, you know, the boardwalk where we do the parade entrance to Dreamland. That's all practical. That's all practical. Holy. Wow. That all place of, is amazing. That's practical. The only thing that's not practical in that are some of the background stuff, you know, the, the roller coaster ride, all that kind of thing. All the people and us coming down that day, you know, and all everything you see basically up to about 30 feet high is all practical. Wow. Like crazy. all the background, all the extras were like... Actually, I was just looking at my photos this morning. I've got this photo, this little video I took of all of the background waiting to come into stage. And I took this video. And it's it's a little kind of like disconcerting because you got, okay, modern, modern, modern. And then all of these people in period 1900, early 1900 wardrobe, like as far as the eye can see. Um, and it is just beautiful. It's down to the mo- most minute details. It really was like walking into a different place as soon as you walk to one of those sound stages. That's so cool. And all the circus performers as well are all real circus yeah. performers that were all sourced from all over Europe, um, um, from all various countries, from the Ukraine, from Hungary and various other parts of Europe, and all sourced and, and, and brought together, all the dances and everything, and everything you see in there is real. All of the circus performers are doing real stuff, you know. Everything you see that Eva, Eva is doing... That, um, uh, um, her character is doing it's all real and either she's doing it herself or her double is doing it oh wow it. Yeah. so she did get up on she that she did get up there and she did do quite a bit of her own stuff yeah wow did you feel a lot of pressure in your scenes with that much going on in the background like obviously there's always pressure on scenes you got camera you got crew and everything but now you've also got this circus like a literal circus behind you it's like oh cut we gotta stop hold on you know reset it's, you know, there's like 500 instead of like 100 or whatever it might be. Did you feel that or was it kind yeah. of just like it just helped you kind of get into it more? Yeah, you know, I kind of felt that I would because there is a lot of pressure, you know, when, when there's so much riding on you doing your part correctly, whether it be remembering your lines or, or hitting the right mark or whatever, because then when you have to reset 500, you know, background people. Right. But ultimately, when we actually got down to it, it wasn't an issue. You just focus on your own thing and you just do it. And and, and the thing that was beautiful was, you, you know, everyone was very encouraging and collaborative. And Tim especially never made anyone feel like they were doing anything wrong. He was such a great director and so um, humble and modest and warm. And everything about him was encouraging. And, and, and you just felt comfortable the whole time you were on set. There was never, there never felt like there was any, um, 
stress or judgment in any way like, or, or yeah. judgment or anything, you know. Uh, the only time I felt stress was the time when I thought I was going to drop Danny DeVito. Um, <laughs> you never want to drop Danny DeVito. Yeah, we've heard you that know, before from guests. I told him, I said, you can trust me, you can trust me. No, it's a bit where I come in, you know, and, and have that scene in the box in the, in the thing where I, where I confront him and, and I have to drag him off. And he was concerned he might fall, you know, because I have to drag him up some stairs. And um, I tell him, I said, Danny, it's okay. I am not going to drop you. And he says, no, 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 I trust you. It's fine. It's fine. I trust you. And I'm sitting there going, oh, shit, I better not drop him. <laughs> Danny DeVito. <laughs> they teach you that drama Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we worked on not dropping Danny DeVito at drama school. It was one of our classes. I, yeah. Uh, uh, no, go ahead, man. I was going to jump in and ask, you know, speaking of just it being so comfortable on set, um, working with Tim, who you, you mentioned before we had the cameras rolling, was somebody that you really loved when you were getting into films. You mentioned Top Gun. I'm sure some of his early work is probably stuff that you were a huge fan of as well. Was there a familiarity you kind of noticed amongst that cast? Because they had all worked together before, or at least some of them, right? I mean, Keaton, DeVito, Keaton and, and DeVito and Burton, right? That's Yeah, that was the main trilogy, those three. And um, that was very interesting for me to watch, for any actor to watch, was watching that dynamic between the three of them. Yeah, Because they're all very different in their energies and in their, you know, in their personalities. You know, Danny's, how Danny works is totally different to how Michael works. And it's, it was so interesting watching the two of them play together, hmm. you know, and... Um, Could you elaborate on that at all? Like in the sense of, uh, in how their styles are different, just in that sense? I could. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Michael likes to, he, he loves to improvise. Hmm. And he likes to come to set and just work things through and, and, and uh, invent things and try different things and stuff, which is a fantastic way of working. Danny likes to come to set totally, totally prepared, knows exactly mm. what he's doing, excuse me, and just get on with it kind of thing. And uh, so the two of them, you know, sometimes there was some clashing. About about that kind of thing because you know uh, you know Michael would want to have a, a discussion about something and Danny would be like, ah, why don't we just get on with this? You know, Tim, let's just roll the cameras, let's just do this kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> and um, but it was fun to watch. Yeah. You know, it was a great dynamic and it produced some really cool stuff on ca- on camera. And you could see that even though the two of them worked incredibly differently, you could see that they enjoyed working together. Yeah, and and Tim. It's such an intelligent guy, and he's so good with people. Even though he himself, he's very, he's very quiet and very modest, and isn't a gregarious person. But he's very good at understanding what different people want and need, mm-hmm. and he will direct everybody in a slightly different way according to what he knows about them and, and what he thinks will work, kind of thing. So he he directed Michael completely differently to how. He would direct Danny and yeah. my, or myself or whatever. And that was that's such a clever thing when a director is capable of doing that. A lot of directors are not. They have their one way of directing. Mm-hmm. And so there are people they're going to work well with and people they're not going to work well with. I don't know an actor that cannot wouldn't work well with Tim because he's that um, – what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? He's that um, – Easygoing? What? Personable? Yeah, personable. Yeah. He's that personable. He's that easygoing. Well, I was watching this interesting thing about Ridley Scott in The Martian. They were saying the same thing about him as he comes and he sits down with each one of his actors and he talks to them in like a very specific way to the way that they are best 
uh, informed or their best way of learning. And I think that's just such a, a unique and incredible thing, especially for someone of that caliber, Ridley Scott and Tim Burton. But that's probably why they are where they where are. They are. You know? Well, I, I can't wait, actually, for the second half of our show to talk about some of these directors because I know we have feelings about, like, the performances some of these directors have gotten out of their actors are so specific. But I yeah. think, before we get to it, I just wanted to ask you one more question, and that's when in the process of getting this role did you first meet Tim Burton? I didn't meet him till my first day on set. Ah. Yeah, because um, they had had trouble um, finding an actor for this role. And um, they had actually already started shooting. Hmm. And they kind of shot almost chronologically according to the script. Okay. Um, so obviously there's, a, there's about 40 pages of script before myself and Michael show up. So that was about, I think, about four weeks of shooting, roughly. Um, I think I arrived on day 42 or something like that. Um, so they had already been shooting. And I, I, I think Derek told me that they had seen me in something. Okay. Um, and then they reached out to Susie Figures, who was casting, who then reached out to my agent and then got in touch with me. I put a self-tape together. You know, I had... I was literally given two hours to improvise this role, do this self-tape, <laughs> cut it, send it in. And uh, I received the script the next day oh, wow. saying, Tim wants to know what I think about the script. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> That's tell Tim, Tim it's me? terrible <laughs> and I still want to do the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I was just like, yes, uh, Tim, it's great. I cried. Let's work together, please. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but just like, you know, uh, Colin kind of said the same thing, you know, when he was asked about it, he was just like, look, it's about working with Tim. Yeah. Who doesn't want to work with Tim, you know? And then you just take it from there. Yeah. Um, so I still hadn't met him and I know some of the, uh, uh, he had met with most of the other actors, even if it was just for a day. Like I know, you know, uh, um, he, f he would fly people. He would either fly to LA for a day or fly the actors from the States to the UK just for a day to have a coffee you know, yeah. a little lunch meet, a 10 minute meet just so he could meet them. <laughs> we had never met because it just simply wasn't the time. Because of the nature of the shooting, yeah. Because they were already on set, they were shooting. So my first day on set, um, when I arrived in the UK, I went in for a hair and makeup or makeup test <laughs> um, and um, was taken to set. And the first person I met was Derek, who's Tim's executive producer. Mm -hmm. And then he introduced me to Tim. And it was kind of like very sudden. Yeah. Like I'm talking to Derek and he's telling me about how much they love my tape and all this and how happy they are for me to be there and stuff. And then all of a sudden, Tim's right behind me. And says, oh, oh, Tim, this is Joe. And Tim just comes up to me and gives me a big hug and says, oh, hey, Joseph, thank you so much. I'm so happy that you could be here and that you enjoyed the script and that you wanted to work on this. And I just, in the back of my mind, I'm just like, Tim, shut up. You're Tim. Right. I was, I was <laughs> like, what was the 10-year-old inside of you doing yeah, at that just moment? Like, like, I, I, was, I was freaking out because I'm in the circus tent and Tim's telling me how happy he is and I'm working. I'm like, you're Tim Burton. Right. Stop. Yeah. Stop. You don't I'm have to happy, talk to please. me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> just please. direct me, man. Yeah. <laughs> but it was so, it was just so lovely meet the first meeting and how, just how humble he was and just how thankful and grateful. And you just don't expect people of that status to, to be that way. Yeah. yeah. You don't, you know, it's just, the last person I met of that kind of status that was like that was, you know, Anthony Hopkins, who I worked with on Thor. Yes. And that makes me so happy to hear. So cool. He is such Anthony a grounded, down-to-earth person. And, you know, we just, you know, I was introduced to him by, you know, Ken Branner and, and uh, 
the first thing he said to me was, because I'm looking at, again, it's a similar situation. I'm looking at Anthony Hopkins. This is Anthony Hopkins. And I'm in full frost giant makeup. And, <laughs> and, and I'm like, uh, it's, it's, it's lovely to meet you, um, sure. Sir Anthony. <laughs> and, and he just takes my big frost giant hands and he's just like, oh, it's Tony, dear fellow. It's Tony. Aren't we so glad to be here? Look at this. Isn't this wonderful? Oh, my God. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Every morning he greeted me the same way. That's so cool. He would come and find me in makeup and go, oh, Joseph, dear fellow, isn't this so wonderful to be here? We're going to have such a fun day. And, 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 like, and then we would spend the rest of the day shooting and, and drinking tea and talking about, you know, what brought us to America and, and all this kind of thing. That's and so cool. It was, it's, it's, it's really beautiful when you meet people like that who are just so grounded, so um, accepting of who they are. They have nothing to prove. They're just people. You know, and I, I love that. If I could get Anthony Hopkins to say good morning to me once, like it would that. be amazing. <laughs> one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, one of my favorite things in the world is when you know decorated actors who've been in a ton of stuff refer to famous people by a shortened name, like Ken Branagh. That's yeah, nothing Ken. I enjoy more than that. I know. And you, you said Ken Branagh. I was like Ken, like one of the greatest Shakespearean actors ever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because so we we tell the story a lot. But, but that's how he introduces himself, right? Yeah, I'm sure he wants to be called Ken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because Ken. you've worked with him, I'm I'm giving you a hundred percent support and pass on that decision. <laughs> but we we joke about it because it's like one of our favorite things. If you if you casually offhandedly refer to somebody in that sense, that it suggests that you've met them and have worked with them. So we can kind of do that to big time people sometimes, even if it hasn't happened to us. Yeah, we our favorite one is our, our friend Daryl worked with Gerard Butler and Ben was oh, talking to him. Yes. Yeah, and so at one point. Uh, you know, Daryl runs another network, and I'd worked with him on something, and I was really excited. I was going to interview Gerard for the first time for like London has fallen a couple years ago, and I said to Daryl, oh, "I'm really excited this this Friday. I'm going to interview Gerard Butler." And he's like, "Yeah, Jerry's a great interview," and, uh, <laughs> and I was like, "And I was like, oh, cool." So then the next day on our other show, I was like, "Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, interview uh, Jerry on Friday," and I was like, "Did you just call him Jerry?" Like, stop the presses. <laughs> So then, ever since, you know, when I did interview yeah. him, I referred to him as Jerry, and he says my friends call me Jerry. So that's right. Jerry. So yeah, you know, you're famous. You get to do that. That's a thing you get to do. <laughs> uh, very last thing, I know we're gonna have to cut this segment short at the end here, but I was just gonna ask you about that moment when you found out that you did get the role. So you send in the self tape. The next day, you get the script and the phone call. Was it like two days later? Was it was it that phone call? Was it was it you know when was it? They actually were like, we need you to come here now. Yeah, basically, the offer happened later that day. From getting uh, the script sent to me, I, you know, I obviously wrote back and said, I love the script. I want to do this. So there was the offer. But then there was a very difficult period of about two, two and a half, almost three weeks of the negotiations. Of course. Yeah. And I'm sitting there like kind of, come on, let's sort this out. I want to get out. But as soon as that got done, like within a week, I was being flown to the UK. Yeah. Because they like needed me there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there was just that weird period when the negotiations are happening, you know, and you don't know what's going on because that's not in your court kind it's of thing. It's, it's not sure. Yeah, right. You have an agent for that reason. Your agent, literally. your manager, you know, producers, casting, they're all playing their games, right. doing what they do. And you're just waiting. You're just waiting because you just want to do it. Yeah. You know, you want to get out there and work with these people. But, yeah, you know, there's nothing you can do. But once that was done, I was like, oh, my God. It was like, you know, when I got my green card, it's like, oh, <laughs> weight off the shoulders. Now we can go to work kind of thing. So uh, we're going to get into the, the main topic of the show here and talk about some of our favorite actor-director duos. A quick shout-out and reminder to everybody listening or watching. Um, 
Action Industries is doing our very first watch along <laughs> for a movie we have coming up on Action Movie Anatomy next week. We're going to be talking about Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Andrew and I are this Sunday, 8 p.m., March 31st, doing a, an official watch along where you guys can watch the film with us. Uh, it's going to be at 8 p.m. Go check it out, patreon.com slash team action. Everybody at the $10 level gets to join in on that action with us. We're doing a giveaway. Yeah. On uh, at Team Action Show on Twitter right now is a free entry to that, so go and uh, find that post and, and enjoy that. So I think let's get into the topic. Yeah, let's get into it, and then we're going to start it off as we always do. We usually categorize it, and we're going to start with our honorable mentions. These are people that, honestly, they should be on the list, but some of them are kind of out of our uh, our age range or our wherewithal with knowing movies, and other ones are just kind of not enough collaborations to make the list. Yeah, so, I mean, in all reality, the top line reference here is John Wayne and John Ford. That's the four, number one period. They did 14 films together, and I think most movie historians would probably tell you that is the greatest duo ever. Uh, among those films, you have Stagecoach, you have The Searchers, um, you know, you have The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I mean, there's massively famous all-time level movies on that list. They oh. kind of made 14 of the same film. Though, yes. Yeah. And John Wayne is kind of exactly the same in every one. So it's like, while we can give a lot of credit there, we're not going to enjoy talking about them as much. And like when you go back and you watch The Searchers and you realize that every Indian is played by a, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed yeah. white man, it's, it's just a little bit weird to watch. Yes. It's, it's really <laughs> difficult when you watch those things now, you know, those movies that you kind of loved when you were a yeah. kid and then you watch them now and you're like, oh, yeah. oh, tell me about I it. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's very, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Next up, we've got the combinations of Alfred Hitchcock and Jimmy Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock and Cary Grant. Four films each. Among them, some of the greatest of all time. Rear Window, Vertigo, Vertigo North by Northwest. Yeah. I mean, very, very famous stuff. Again, uh, we, as the action guys, talk about movies. We do talk about some older films. They're not ones that we're as seasoned with, so we're going to skip past that. Yeah, as Joe said earlier on, we're... Or babies. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> this is just a little before our time. Changing gears, we do have Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen in the, in, in the honorable mentions with 40-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up Funny People, and of course producing uh, Freak, Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Um, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton on the honorable mentions list for obvious reasons. Uh, the film comes out this weekend. We don't really want to give anything away on that one. And two of them are Batman movies, so yeah. I think we're not going to try to elaborate too much because they've been talked to death. But we did do Batman Returns on Action Movie Anatomy this week. whole hour on that movie, so you guys can go watch that over on Popcorn Talk. Yeah, and... Uh, and and Keaton was wonderfully weird in Dumbo. Oh yeah, I think it was the best. The choices way to were him. so bizarre. Yeah. And I, I love yeah. I, I love Keaton so. And much. There, there there was a semblance of of uh, he threw in some Batman in there. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It was really tough on set to not just go Michael, please. Yeah. Say it one time. Say it. Just say <laughs> it once. Yeah. I'm Batman. Yeah, because you guys I, just are next to each other so like the whole badly time. wanted to ask him. I just I just couldn't. I just couldn't. <laughs> he must go to ask that. All the time. He's had one of the most interesting careers. We, we were 100%. talking about this earlier, and it's like for a guy that came out, and he and Tom Hanks kind of occupied the same space for a little while there in yeah. the 80s. They were both these kind of like leading men with sort of quirky, handsome qualities and a lot mm -hmm. of comic chops. And then he plays Batman, and Hanks goes on and wins the two Oscars. But then now in this day and age, he's more successful right now than Tom Hanks. Hanks can't really make a movie that people like, and all Keaton does is star in movies that win Best Picture. Home run. Like hairs. he just. Yeah, no, Tom Hanks makes continues to make you know great movies it's just that you know i guess they're not quite as edgy people now want something that's a little bit edgy and and, and that kind of thing or a little bit different right you know I, I, he's amazing don't get me wrong yeah. i just mean like bridge of Sighs and the post which are two films bridge we'll of Sighs is an amazing movie yeah yeah, yeah. ryan lance is so good in he's that. incredible yeah yeah it's just it's just, it's just been a very interesting uh a moment for them because it was like in the early 90s was when keaton and, and Hong, hanks were both there but then hanks just like 
skyrocketed to another stratosphere, you know? So, and then the final one on the honorable mentions list, just because we're such big fans, yes. we had to throw this in. Tony Scott and Denzel Washington. And this is one that I, most people are going to pan, but Drew and I have spent like no. half our lives talking about this duo. <laughs> uh, you've got Crimson Tide, Man on Fire, Deja Vu, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, and Unstoppable. Now, most people would say that half those movies aren't good. They're wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 the reason we, like, we want to bring it up, and, and you mentioned Top Gun, which is why I was really excited about this to get to this yeah. one. Because Tony Scott, the late, great Tony Scott, is mm-hmm. one of my favorite directors of all time. Because he had such a sense of how to combine that massive commercial appeal to, and getting these really grounded moments out of his big stars. Heartfelt, like really yeah. heartfelt moments. So pulling moments out of Denzel and these giant set piece action movies where you would be watching a scene. You're like, oh, this is a real this is a real emotional moment here. And I'm totally into it. And he takes such an iconic performance like a Denzel and makes it stand out in yeah. the midst of all these explosions. I just could never get enough of that, do I love these movies. Yeah, and They're someone... definitely fun movies. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't think any of these movies match up to Top Gun. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, they're, they're all, you know, fun movies. Denzel makes those kinds of movies, and Tony Scott cannot fail to make those movies. But I'm sitting here wondering, do we have Michael Mann on here? We don't, but who, but who would the Michael Mann collaborator yeah, be? Exactly. He was my favorite director of all time for a long time. And yeah. I, he doesn't consistently work with the same guy. Pacino yeah, was in with different, yeah. two of his movies. Yeah. yeah. Probably his two best. Yeah. Maybe. Love Michael Mann. Huge yeah. fan. Do you yeah. have a favorite Michael Mann movie? Heat. Yes, it's got to be Heat. Right. It yeah. just is. That shootout in the street is just so cool. Episode 100 of our I started show. watching it just completely by accident the other day. On, on, on You can't turn it off. I just like, it was on. I was just like, oh, my God. I forgot how good this movie it's is. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. The old, like, three and a half hours of it oh, or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, you just don't want to stop. It's nope. great. Yeah. The weird shootout in the airport is, like, perfectly poetic somehow. Yeah, it's incredible. So, I mean, so speaking of De Niro, we're going to jump in with the very first one on this list here. And now, arguably maybe just the number one the maybe, ever. Yeah, you got Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese uh, with a crazy, crazy run together. You've got eight films on the list plus a ninth releasing this year on Netflix and The Irishman. I'm going to read off these movies. Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, New York, New York, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, Goodfellas, Casino, Cape Fear, and now releasing The Irishman. I mean, is there realistically going to be a better list than that list? I mean, there's, there's not a bad movie on that list, is there? No. And, and New York, New York classics. is maybe the... New York, New York's maybe the redheaded stepchild of the yeah, group, possibly. Yeah. I, I finally watched The King Comedy like a month ago because Andreco told me to watch it. It's really good. It's really good. And he's he plays something you've never seen him do before, which is like we talk about a lot how Pacino and De Niro's have gotten older. They've just kind of started to play themselves as, as older men, which is fine because we still love them. But Although ironically, De Niro now is doing tons of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He's yeah. doing tons of comedy. And, and, and his early career, you were like, he's – if Never. somebody had said, you know, this guy's going to be doing a lot of good comedy and good comedy, right? Yeah. And he'd be like, get out of here. Right. You know, and there he is, like knocking it out of the park, doing some great comedy stuff. I mean, he's a legend. You know? He's a legend. He's an all timer. I think it's hard to pick a best performance out of this group, but my favorite movie out of this group is Goodfellas. It's the one that when I go back to these movies, I, Goodfellas is kind of like heat in the sense that I can't turn it on and then stop watching it. I like yeah that tracking shot in the beginning at the club and just like I always want to be it's a gangster. Amazing. There's just so many excellent lines in there that yeah. Do you, do you have a favorite on there, Joe? Oh, God, it's a tough one. I I Mean Streets is still one of my favorite. Movies. Really good. Yeah, it's really good. Just because of the rawness of it, you know, and that kind of thing. But also, I I loved Cape Fear. Cape Fear's great. I really did Max love Katie. Cape Fear. You guys did a Katie great job on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Cape Fear's good. You guys might murder me. I've never seen Raging Bull. Yeah, it's not that I've surprising. I've seen Taxi Driver once. 
Raging Bull's good, yeah. but I don't think it's as good as everyone claims it is. Well, claims it is. I hear yeah. that's the one that's like, oh, he's almost there. They're almost there together, and then the next time they collab is when it's like a home run, right? Isn't that well, isn't it Raging Bull? And then I mean, the next one they do together is King of Comedy, and then it's after that it's Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that's interesting about Raging Bull is like. I mean, you talk about any genre has this, but Raging Bull was a defining sports movie. It, it was a sports movie that had never been done before. Like Rocky's only four years earlier, and Rocky's mm. a totally different kind of movie. But Raging Bull is just so dark and raw and edgy, and he really commits to this role. He gains all that weight for the last part of it. It's a great performance, and he wins Best Actor for it, which is why people remember it so yeah. well. But I think of the classic performances, it's probably the most overrated because, mm-hmm. like, it's really about the like, and you know, the way they, they speed it up and slow it down. It's all that extra the, the film tricks and stuff like that. I don't know. It's been a while since I've watched there's it. A, but... There's a lot of that that happens where I think actors' performances can be either overrated or underrated depending on the whole movie, yeah. kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know, there are lots that I can mention in my own mind, but. You know, for purposes of um, not being hated, uh, I'm not going to. Um, we did a biggest Oscar snubs of history show uh, a couple, like a month ago. It was yeah. pretty interesting. There were some good ones. Strong there. comments on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one because it's it's a very um, personal kind of thing. Like, what's a good performance? What isn't a good performance? You know, and and um, like even at the recent Academy Awards, there were some awards that were given out. Like, Oh yeah, this last one was. This a was tough one of the weirdest. I don't know why didn't Glenn Close get that award? Right, I, it was brutal. Not that there's anything wrong with Olivia Colman; she's wonderful and amazing. But come on, Glenn it's Close. Glenn Close. I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Who has she upset at the Academy? Because she, she, that performance. She firstly, she cannot give a bad performance, and yeah. secondly, the wife. That was an unbelievable performance. She was incredible. She, yeah, it's just she's always that good. Yeah, she's always consistent. She's like, yeah. She, I mean, I even love her all the way back to Air Force One. I, I think she's oh, excellent, geez. even in Air Force One. I'm a gigantic Glenn Close fan. I interviewed her twice this season <laughs> leading up to that, and uh, the second time I just told her outright, "You're going to win the Oscar." It was three days before she didn't. I couldn't. Ugh. I mean, I had the tweet. Prepa- she's thinking right now that kid jinxed me on the card. I had the tweet prepared and saved in my drafts. I was just waiting, and they announced that I was. I could not believe it. I was blown away. Yeah. So, but uh, coming up on the, the next on our list here yeah. is going to yeah. be the other Scorsese uh, muse, and that's DiCaprio. And you got you got five movies on the DiCaprio list. These five are the uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island, The Departed, The Aviator, and Gangs of New York. Another crazy set of heavy hitters. Yeah, they're. I mean, clearly it doesn't have the longevity <laughs> that De Niro has, but the amount of weight that he's carried in these five films. I mean, it's just so. What what is it about Scorsese? Like, I mean, clearly he's one of, if not the greatest, why is it that he finds this muse and just goes with them? Yeah, 16 films. I don't films. know, but I wish he would stop making movies with Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? <laughs> You're not a fan? I, I don't like any of those movies. Really? really? Oh, that surprises me. So t- talk, talk, Joe. Yeah. No, I just, uh, I've never been a fan of those movies. I think The Departed is one of the most overrated movies ever made. Interesting. Wow. You know, I remember going to see the movie at the uh, Kodak. Yeah. And, um, and I think me and my friend, no, we we stayed we stayed to the end, but then we both walked out thinking, God, that movie was terrible. Really, yeah, crazy. We hated it. And then it won Best it, Picture. And then it won what seven Academy Awards yeah. or something. And I was mesmer. I was just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I was one of the few. Most people seem to love it, but I just thought that it was very clumsy. Hmm. It was, you know, uh, it was one of those movies that was catering to the lowest common denominator in the sense that everything was laid out for you. Mm. And if you didn't get it the first time, they sent you this message the second time. And then the third time, you know, everything was so – it was painting by numbers. 
right. kind of thing. There was nothing new being done, and, and I'm just like the perform- some of the performances were great. Like Martin Sheen was incredible. Yeah, he's great. He's so great. I think wasn't he up for best? Didn't he win best supporting actor for no, that? I think no. Wahlberg got nominated, which was really weird. Yeah, Wahlberg got the nomination. It's possible Sheen got one too. I don't quite remember. No, I don't understand. But I, I remember him being amazing, and I was incredibly sad when he threw himself off that roof. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, no, you're the best character in the movie. <laughs> I think Alan Arkin won that year for Little Miss Sunshine. I'm pretty Sounds sure. Like, oh, yeah. So, so I got to ask you, Joe. Then, since you were telling us before the show that Scorsese is one of your biggest influences or one of your greatest directors of all time uh, as an actor, what do you think changed between these time periods? Because we're looking at you know eleven movies up top and then six on the bottom or five on the bottom, and and you said you don't like any of these. Yeah, I just don't know. Like these, the movies he made with De Niro were all doing something new. Mm. They were all raw. They were all there was something edgy about every single one of them. Um, the movies with DiCaprio, these are, all seemed like um, too demonstrative. It's like everything was over the top. Everything was nothing seemed real. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know if that. I, I don't know if that makes sense. It just all seemed too. I, I kind of get what you're saying. Because yeah, like, there's I, scenes in, in, in Gangs of New York and The Departed, and especially Wolf of Wall Street, where you're like, I'm just watching a cool movie right now. It's you just know? cool. Like, it just but feels it's sexy. Just substance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Wolf of Wall Street <clears throat> that I've said is when I've rewatched that movie. See, I love that movie. But I couldn't get through it. I watched like 10 minutes of it and, st- and had to stop. It does feel like it's incredibly derivative of like a tone that he's done before and yeah. has been done before. Um, but I do like it. So I realized when I was watching it, like straight on, I was like, this is pretty good. And then if I was doing something else while it's on in the background, I'm like, oh, this movie's excellent. You know what I mean? Like it just sounds here's, fun. Here's what was one of the major differences I was just thinking between the De Niro movies and the DiCaprio movies. In the Di- DiCaprio movies, there's no one that you like. Oh, interesting. None wow. of the characters are people that you root for. I mean, that's not totally untrue. I don't yeah, think – Yeah, that is very interesting. I don't really like, like any of the characters in gangs except – I mean, I love Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, but you, don't, you like him because it's it's Daniel Day-Lewis doing a badass. Yeah, like, yeah but he's not yeah. like a character that you don't like him. You don't hang out with him. You don't want to hang out with him. You don't want to root for him. You know, you, you just like – he's he's a bad character and, and – you know, it was the same in all of these movies. Aviator, Shutter right. Island, both the same. Yeah. The de- yeah, it's so funny. I'm like sitting here thinking about the because de- I love The Departed. Yeah, and like he's so right. Yeah, they all kind of suck. Like, the, the nice character was Martin Sheen's character. Yeah, yeah. It's Sheen, and then like you kind of like Jack, but then you realize you know he's he's the bad guy, and then Leo is losing his and, mind and the whole Wolf, time. They're all bad people. They're all bad people in yeah. Wolf. Yeah, that I mean, is... like in, in in with the De Niro pictures, you know, De Niro plays some bad people, but they're you like feel yeah, you like Jimmy you like Ray Liotta you love those characters yeah, yeah. Who are, they're not bad just for the sake of being bad they're, they're bad because something has happened to interesting make them be that way like obviously we don't like uh, um, uh, what's the name of the character in Cape Fear Max um, Cady we don't like Max, Max Cady yeah. we want him to die as quickly as possible but we're rooting for the family to survive we're yeah. rooting for them you know there's always got to be someone um, that you're rooting for, that you love, that you want to survive, that you want to win. And, you know, in those movies, there just isn't. You watch them and you're like, that's a horrible character. That's a horrible character. And when you don't care and you want all of them to die, you just like, then you don't invest anything into the movie 
Maybe I'm looking too deeply into it, but all... that's what I want in a movie. I want to be able to invest in a character. Yeah, and at the end of The Departed, they basically all do just die. Well, and so speaking of, we mentioned Leo, and we mentioned you know uh, directors that I think you're a fan of. Moving over to Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. So you know you you talk about a great performance in Catch Me If You Can. That's, yeah. This is this is probably my favorite. That's uh, your favorite Steven Spielberg yeah. movie. Honestly, I mean, I think even more so than the best picture winning stuff. Though Saving Private Ryan's pretty close behind. Uh, you have those two. You have the Terminal, Bridge of Spies, and the Post. How do you feel about that group, guys? I I love them. That's it's one of my favorite groups. I uh, <clears throat> I'm having a little bit of harder time to grasp onto what Hanks is doing now. But I think it's just again because of like what he was doing when he was younger was so much. It, 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 I don't want to say it feels like he's complacent because you watch him perform and he still yeah. hits home runs. But he's, like, not doing anything new. Well, I want him to do something new, I that's think. The thing. So you look at the Post and Bridge of Spies, and both movies, while good, yeah. they don't stand out to me in the way that, like, a, like a, say, like something by Denis Villeneuve right now does. Like, Arrival stands out to yeah. me when I watch that movie. The Post is technically a very good movie. And you've got two of the greatest actors ever. on screen ever. But, like, it... You you look at the the three here at the bottom, comparing them to Catch Me If You Can and Saving Private Ryan, and it's like that it feels like we're talking apples and oranges at that point. Because yeah. Catch Me If You Can and Saving Private Ryan feel like all time movies in my book, and they also feel like all time characters, even though they're very subtle. Hey, you know? Raddy, I love I love Hanks so much in Catch Me If You Can. He's like, like just annoying enough and <laughs> just fatherly enough, and then like him is a, a, like a quiet school teacher captain, and, and yeah. Private Ryan is. The subtleties behind that man's performances are just absolutely astonishing. You have a favorite yeah. on here, Joe? <clears throat> of those movies? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, funny enough, even though it's been really derided, I enjoyed The Terminal. Yeah, some people I, love I, that movie. Uh, it's Only like a love hate. Once. I watch that movie and he plays his character and he's so cute and likable. He, he's got like a, he's got he's like a like, foreign like, accent, right? Victor yeah. Dvorsky, is that the character? He name? does a Ukrainian accent or something okay. in, the, in the movie. <clears throat> and I really enjoyed it. I, I'm, you know, I don't think it's an Academy Award-winning movie, but they make these movies, and Tom plays these characters. I mean, I know what you mean when you say that you know Tom's not doing anything new and interesting, but he has so much subtlety. Yeah, you know, kind of like with with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. A lot of people say they should just keep playing themselves, but as an actor, that's one of the hardest things to do is to play that kind of thing and be completely real. And believable. It's actually more difficult than playing a really outrageous, you know, doing what uh, Daniel Day Lewis did in da- Gangs in New York is way easier yes. than playing, you know, Tom Hanks in the Post. Exactly. Interesting. To be you compelling know. when you're quiet and you're subtle <coughs> and you're just, yeah, 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 because it's ultimate reality. There's no bells it's and whistles. Easy you're to not put dressing on a it up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Do and like, something big, you know. And even the lines are written to make you sound awesome in Gangs of New York, you know, whereas like Tom <coughs> Hanks is just speaking as you would working at the Washington Post. So then jumping over to the next one, uh, this is, you know, genre difference a little bit. You got Wes Anderson and Bill Murray, eight films. When I was uh, doing the research here, I had forgotten that he's in every one of these movies. Um, you got Rushmore, The Royal Town. <coughs> <laughs> the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Isle of Dogs. I've actually still not seen two of these films. Um, I've seen what, six Moonrise and Fantastic? <laughs> no, Moonrise and Budapest are the two that I haven't watched. <coughs> Do you want to, you doing all right, Joe? You want some more water? Yeah, got a little froggy in the throat. No, no nah, worries. Yeah, we've all been there before. Uh, it, it totally, last week on the show. To, yeah, yeah, right? Totally different genre, of course. And, and he headlines the top couple here. You know, Rushmore and, and Life Aquatic are basically his movies. Um, but, I mean, Bill Murray is kind of the current, like, contender for Coolest Man Alive, right? That's like usually people refer to him that way. 
That's so crazy. They've done that many movies together. It's that's like almost every single movie Wes Anderson's directed. I think he has Bottle Rocket doesn't have Bill Murray in it, and I think there's one other movie that we're forgetting maybe in here. There, yeah, there must be. Or maybe this is maybe there's nine, and he's just not in the first one. That's a great list of movies. It's a hell of yeah. a list, right? You have a favorite on there? Oof. Um, I think I love them all. To be quite honest, I. I, I think back to the first time I watched Royal Tenenbaums and yes. didn't have any expectations. It's my favorite. And completely loved it. I was just Same. like, oh my God, this movie's incredible. Yeah, it's my, my favorite by far. And, I, and granted, it's not fair because Budapest got nominated for like 12 Oscars. Right. So it's like, it's on my list of 100 this year that I'm going to be watching. But like, Tenenbaums, when I've gone back to rewatch, has so many moments, so many memorable characters, <laughs> so much humor. I like, I just love Owen Wilson in that I movie. I adore that movie. Yeah, that movie. The voiceover by Alec Baldwin. The nostalgia when you go back and watch it now is yeah. just so – it just feels so good to watch that movie. Yeah. Well, Sanderson is just so clever the way he he structures his scripts and he structures these movies. And the way he weaves the characters in and out of each other, it's just amazing. I mean, Grand Budapest Hotel is a great example of that. You know, he's just a, a, a brilliant director. It's difficult to uh, – it's difficult to say anything bad about him to be quite honest and, and – like you say, Bill Murray is just sublime. Yeah, <laughs> everything yeah. he does is brilliant. Yeah, I was, I was. It's so weird. I'm not really the biggest Wes Anderson fan. Like, I don't, I don't like hear about a new <laughs> Wes Anderson movie, and I like want to run to the theaters. Right. But he is so incredibly innovative and interesting. Just the the way that he directs and tells stories is just so unique. It, it, you know. Yeah, I, I you can't really. I can't even like put it into words, like you, what it is about. I, I'll tell you what it is. What you'd think is because if you look at style wise, it's weird. It's weird to say, but it actually feels like the most representative film of his style is almost the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's so specific and it does everything that he does. You would have thought that in two thousand one, you know, eighteen years later, somebody would have ripped him off, and you'd have another director you could look at that you could point to and be like, "Oh, the next Wes Anderson yeah. was this guy." No, because everyone plays it safe. Nobody yeah. did it. Everybody's he, doing what's safe, and you've got a lot of directors just all producing the same thing. Yeah. So you know, and he does what he does. Yeah. And he and nobody can do what he does, and um, and that's what I love. It's it's exactly same as with Tim Burton. You yeah. Know, right. The only stuff. Tim can do mm-hmm. what Tim does, and. Uh, and I think that's why they stand out, and 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 it's why people like Wes and Tim are kind of have this love hate relationship with, you know, with with reviewers and with Hollywood and stuff because right. they don't really know, you know, are they great? Are they not great? You know, they're not doing the painting by numbers kind of movies that we expect, you know, and but you know, and you don't rush to the cinema right. often to go and see them, but then when you do watch them, you're like. Wow, that's a brilliant movie. That's an incredible movie, yeah. And speaking of which, we have Tim Burton and Johnny Depp as the next the next collab on this list. And so you've got Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, Sleepy Hollow, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like Sweeney Todd. Seven films. Yeah. Um, it's like funny. Like if not for – if and he not was for, almost in Dumbo. Was he? Yeah, almost. Who was he going to be? Farrell? Uh, Farrell, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> I almost think I would have liked that more. Not that I didn't like Colin. I just like it would have been kind of fun to see Johnny Depp just play a dad. It would have been weird to see Johnny Depp and Tim Burton and Michael Keaton and DeVito yeah. all in a movie, all doing a movie together. That would have been – I almost think at this but then point – then it wouldn't have been Dumbo. Right. Yeah, it would have just been just, the boys club. Or right. And it's it all would have been a yeah. Johnny Depp movie. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I was just going to say true. is I think I would yeah. have too hard of a time watching him in that context and not feel like – I was watching that. Like yeah. he's he's become so synonymous with like this type of acting in those movies that 
Colin Farrell was sort of almost so regular as that character yeah. that it's, that's why it worked. He didn't feel like a movie star. He felt like he felt like that character. He was just cool. playing. He was just playing a regular guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's been a while since we've seen Johnny Depp play a regular guy. You know, all the characters he's played recently have all been very grandiose, very mm-hmm. over the top kind of thing. And 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 obviously he can do that because he's done that earlier on in his career. But he's kind of moved away from that now. And 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 he's he has this persona that follows him as an actor that I think would have been wrong for the movie. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. Like I think back to one of my favorite early Depp movies, and that's Donnie Brasco. Yeah, and uh, you know it's like '96. It's actually a De Palma movie. It's probably my favorite Brian De Palma movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, um, but he's a he's a very you know, like normal character. He has some you know he has some really nice moments in that movie. There's that moment I think when he's cause he's undercover and he's on the phone with his wife and. I think he says to her, like, she's like, what are you doing? He's like, just don't say anything. I just want to listen to you breathe. It's such a weird line in a script to have, but I think it's such a cool line. But anyway, uh, I, he doesn't really do that. Like the, the like eccentric rock star character that he kind of in real life has bought into, yeah. the yeah. weird braids and the rings and the hats. It's like he's incapable of ditching that enough to just be the Colin Farrell character in Dumbo. He, like he doesn't do it anymore. He has to play some weird fantastical wizard <laughs> in a Harry Potter movie or like – he has to be Jack Sparrow. Well, that's what I mean is I would just love to see him have playing – like if he were actually to have played that role like Farrell played it, I would love to see Depp just kind of go back to that. I don't know if we ever will see that again, but I would just like to see I it. hope we do. I do too because I actually I'd think love to see him do that. He's so talented. And there he just a, went through this weird – There was a time decade. in Johnny Depp's career, no joke, where if you asked me who is the, the most talented living working actor, it was like him and Day-Lewis. And this was back in like 2004 or something. Right. I was like – I was obsessed. They were my two favorite actors. Mm. And it feels like a long time since I've felt that way about Johnny Depp. A lot of times passed. Yeah. I think he's a great actor. He, he yeah. just has a very particular style about him. Yeah. And a very particular thing that he does really well. And I would love to see him broaden and, 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 and do something different. But I mean, no. so, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go. Ahead. Speaking of a weird particular style, <coughs> another another auteur uh, director directors, the Coen Brothers and yeah. Francis McDormand. I have on here oh, with great. eight films together: Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Fargo, The Man Who Wasn't There, Burn After Reason, and Hail Caesar. Now, I believe she's only bit parts in two of these movies. I think yeah. in Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink, she's uncredited, but she's a starring role in some of these, and she's got an Oscar win for her performance in Fargo, '96. Yeah. I've actually only seen. Three of these movies. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm actually shocked. I've only seen Raising Arizona, Fargo, and Burn After Reading. Oh, you haven't seen Miller's Crossing? No. Oh my god! I haven't god. seen Blood Simple, which I've heard awesome. those are both I great. Think, I've I think never Miller's, seen Crossing Miller's Crossing is is one of their best. Really? That's what oh people yeah, say. it's on my list of 100 this year. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. incredible movie. Who's she, who's she in it with? Oh God, who is Turturro's uh, in that movie? Oh, yeah, Turturro. And, I love uh, that Turturro and the brothers get along so well. Terrible at remembering this kind of thing. I, I just remember it being a stunning movie. People love that movie. Yeah. People talk to me about that. It's one of these movies that I've always kind of intended to watch. I have this project this year where I'm, I put together a list of the 100 movies, these kind of movies. The, uh, yeah. You've never seen X. Right. I made a list of 100 that I'm watching two a week and doing a yeah. Twitter review of all of them. And Miller's Crossing is one of those ones I'm getting to. Albert Finney and Gabriel Byrne. Oh, oh geez. Yeah. Albert Finney, yeah. RIP. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this is an interesting list here. I think, you know, I love Frances McDormand. She's kind of in that Glenn Close category now for most people where, like, she can do no wrong. She's, so good. she's become like kind of a national yeah. treasure, right? Like if she's in something, it's like, oh, Francis, she's gonna. Well, she's and, great, and she's just so funny. Yeah. Like, like her real person. She, she, she can do everything. So, yeah, I like. I loved Three Billboards. Yeah. I thought she was so yeah. good in it. Um, and, and she then, can do everything. Like you say, she can. She can do drama. She can do comedy, and you believe her all the time. 
Yeah. She, she doesn't miss a beat. She's completely believable in every moment, and it's it, it's rare in an actor that, that, that she can do that, and it's fantastic. Her energy pairs yeah. so well with the Coen brothers because they're so all over the place and strange. I, I've probably seen half their movies, I would say. I just saw Inside Lewin Davis for the first time. Mm. It's fine. Yeah, it's good. It's really yeah. it's good. It's kind of a weird, small movie that like mm-hmm. doesn't wrap up many of the loose ends, yeah. and the characters just kind of fucked up. They just exist. And, like, yeah, it's so have weird. you seen that n- the new one that's on Netflix? What's it called? Uh, um the Ballad of... Um, oh, Buster oh, Scruggs. Buster Scruggs. Scruggs. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. No. Was it good? No. It wasn't for you, huh? It wasn't. Funny, it, my girlfriend Mercy is a massive Coen Brothers fan. She loved it. Absolutely loved it. For me, I was just sitting there thinking, I just, I don't see the point. What's going on? Right. Because it's these, it's these little, it's about, what is it? I think it's five little vignettes, 20-minute vignettes. But they don't really tell you anything. And there's no real story. It's just these little things that happen and, and there's no like message it's very strange it's like you walk away from it at the end thinking what the hell just happened sure? yeah exactly it's like <laughs> yeah. I mean it's shot beautifully yeah the acting is fantastic but then you're just like well that's kind yeah. of their MO is that they make these movies and that's why I think she pairs so well with them is like they're not traditional they're never conventional that's why they got so much crap when they made Intolerable Cruelty because like that movie is so much more normal right, but right. I mean they're at their best when they're combining like really compelling drama with super strange quirks like Fargo No Country for Old Men that's why like those are their best movies in a lot of cases the stuff where they go off is where they try to make like Inside Lewin Davis was well liked but it just it's doesn't weird. have much of a narrative it's yeah. like just kind of and I, it sounds like this movie is the same way. So, I'll, you, I'll, it, what's the favorite on the list? What's your favorite Coen Brothers movies? Movie <coughs> is it Fargo? Is it No Country? For me, or it's No Country. It's No Country. Fargo. Fargo. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it might be No it's Country, close. but Between I love. Those two, yeah. It's very close. I haven't seen uh, Fargo since probably high school. It's been a long, long time. I do actually have a soft spot for the man who wasn't there. Most people, most people don't like that movie. That's a beautiful movie. It's shot really well. I haven't seen that. I think it's Roger Deakins and his his, his cinematography in that movie is gorgeous. Uh, Last on the list, very near and dear to our hearts is Paul Thomas Anderson and our great Rest in peace, one of our favorites, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. PSH, baby, the, the, the grandmaster. I, I mean, Hard Eight. calls him that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hard Eight, which he's got a small part in. Yep. As, that was PT's first movie. Boogie Nights, which is both of our top two favorite films of all time. Yeah. Love it. Magnolia, which is my third favorite film Love of all time. Movie. Punch Drunk Love, which is underrated. I watched it uh, about two weeks ago. And he's good. Just, it, right? he's, he's great. <laughs> he's such a fuck. And then The Master, which when I go back and watch The Master, which I've now seen twice. It took me a few years to watch I it. I need to watch it again. He is so good in that movie. It makes me sad, in fact, that Day-Lewis won for Lincoln because I think that Philip Seymour Hoffman should have actually won for that role. There's some uncomfortable moments in that movie because he's so good. He's so strange and yeah. he's so powerful. I mean I think of all the actors that who, have, who we've lost, it's quite possible that he's the one whose career we miss the most of because of it. I think he, he may have gone on to just be the greatest of all time if he had continued acting. I mean, there's no doubt he's a fantastic actor. Was you know a great actor, um, and and I agree with you. Like with the master, for example, I hated the movie. Yeah, but his performance was amazing. Yeah, yeah. no doubt, so powerful. Um, and and I kind of agree with you. I think that Lincoln was overrated. <laughs> yeah. I watched that one on my hundred this year. That was uh, one I did. I was not a fan. I still haven't watched. Yeah, it I, I mean, it's, it's again, it's, it's, a, it's a very well-made movie. Right, tells a lovely story. Yada yada yada. But there's nothing. That's like what we were talking about Spielberg. That's literally what we were saying earlier, right? That, nothing... that movie defines what it is. There's nothing interesting about it. It's yeah. Like it just is completely accurate, completely correct, and it's very like well done. It's like a beautifully made documentary. Yes. Yeah, right, right. You know, uh, unlike 
you know, some of his other stuff he's done, like Armistad, which is, uh, you know, if, if there was a bit more Armistad in Lincoln, yeah, then there's a bit more drama, there's a bit more tension, there's a bit more um, uh, risk, a bit more edginess. You know, there's, stakes, there's, period. The, the stakes are yeah. higher. There seem like to be, even though it's an important story, there seem to be no stakes in Lincoln. And again, you know, you've got uh, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis giving one of those performances that is... Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a really good performance, but is he acting as we're doing an impersonation? It's like yeah, ah. couldn't agree more. Amazing. It's, it's kind of like you know, I have this conversation with people about Will Smith in 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 Ali. You know, I'm just like hmm. everyone's like, oh, it's a great performance. I'm like, is it or is he just doing an impersonation kind of thing? Yeah. Now uh, it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Exactly. But for me, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman in, in The Master was definitely a real. Acting performance. That's like me. a that's like a created character. Yes, and he's. But I mean, so speaking of these five films, because it's impossible for you and I to not look at this list and just gravitate towards this list because of the way we feel about Boogie Nights, and not even just Boogie Nights, but him in Boogie See, Nights, Magnolia. Yeah, yeah him Magnolia, Magnolia for some reason oh, stood out I to love me it so much. It was one of those movies that again took me completely by surprise. Well, and you see Cruz doing something you've almost never, never seen, seen him do before. before. Yeah, and you watch this movie and you're like. What the hell was that? That was awesome. Yeah. Like, and you watch it and you're like, that was brilliant. And you just don't expect it. It's like, what is it? And it's, it's fantastic. Tom Cruise is – the fact that he got Tom Cruise doing what he was doing in that movie, I was just like, I mean, dude. We, we talked about uh, on this show like probably a month ago. We did, a, we did an episode that was each of our top five favorite films of all time. So we did like a few minutes on each. Yeah. My second and third favorite films are Boogie Nights and Magnolia. So I talked a lot about these. And when I think about Magnolia, I have the hardest time because – Who's my favorite performance? Is it Cruz? Is it John C. Riley? Is it Julianne Moore? Is it Philip Seymour Hoffman? Is well, it Jason Robards? They're all, is they're it, all perfect. Yeah. They're, they're, is it William H. Macy? Is it Alfred Molina? They're like, everybody in that movie is unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, it's Julianne Moore. But I do. I know. I, she's I know. so good. She's so she's good. She's so amazing in that <laughs> yeah. movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman, though, in, that, in the scenes with. With Jason Robards, when Robards is on the, on the bed and he's yeah. giving that speech about motherfucker and all that stuff, and uh, oh my god! And then, and then when Julianne Moore comes home and he's like, "I got Frank, I got Frank on the phone," she hangs up and she starts slapping him around yeah. and he starts crying. That that movie will get me every time, every time. I, I do. It, this is reminding me what a great movie that that actually was. You know, is you know, I, I really enjoyed that movie. I mean, this is that's quite a list. Yeah, I know. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I hope that he. Uh, that he continues to make films, and I hope he kind of reels it in just a little. Just a little. Because like you said, I didn't like The Master. No. I thought it was a great performance. It's just a little too crazy for me. Thread is, is fine. It was yeah, kind of slow. I didn't, the only one I've never seen is Inherent Vice. It's the only one I never watched. I wasn't heard. Yeah, I haven't I wasn't seen any of that. I heard really watch that because I was up for one of the main roles in that. And, really? And I was kind of excited about it. I got real close to booking the role. Well, maybe you won't and, like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Depends <laughs> <laughs> how good the guy who booked my role did. That's exactly yeah. that's um, fair. But yeah. All right, so guys, that's the those are the contenders. Uh, so now it's time for each of us to pick which group of films do we like. Who is the greatest? And, and just to uh, give you a quick recap. Yeah, yeah. De Niro and Scorsese, DiCaprio and Scorsese, Hanks and Spielberg, Coen Brothers and Francis McDormand, Paul Thomas Anderson and Philip Seymour Hoffman, Wes Anderson and Bill Murray, and of course Tim Burton and Johnny. Depp. And of course there are other collabs that we left off of here. There's yes. a ton. It's impossible to include all of them. Uh, in general, we tried to go with people that had more than three. So like. 
Tarantino and Uma Thurman's a tough one because you, you know Pulp Fiction and the Two Kill Bills are great, but right. there's just too many to, to mention all at once. We tried to go with the meatiest lists here, uh, and it's now each of our uh, each of our turns. Who wants to go first with their pick? I'm gonna hop in first because Joe totally swayed me. I was actually going to say Leo and Scorsese, I yeah. think. I think I really was. And then based off what he said, I do like those movies, but he made a really good point about the characters not really being likable, and that kind of blew my mind. Um, I think I'm just going to have to go Paul Thomas Anderson and PSH. I know that it's so short, and I know that we're not going to get any more, so it technically probably will never be the greatest. Yeah. But I could not live without Boogie Nights and Magnolia. I just couldn't. <laughs> I just could not live without them. I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I, I just, I mean, look, it's, I really want to give one of the Scorsese lists the nod. And, and there's a part of me that looks at the Hanks list and just goes like, yeah, how do you, I mean, there's an argument for any one of these, to be honest. But I love those Paul Thomas, the, those Philip Seymour Hoffman roles so much. And it's not just that. It's him in Boogie Nights as Scotty J. Yeah, Scotty J. It's so one good. of his greatest creations. That is such a hard character to pull off. It's so self-effacing it's so like humiliating to be that guy you're wearing this brilliantly rainbowed overly tight clothing you look like he looks like an idiot but he's just awkward like even the walking down the hallway at the same time oh my god but he's so good i i have to go with that list just i love the movies too much what do you got joe for me it's split between two and it's probably because of how they've influenced me and it's got to be scorsese de niro Mm -hmm. And Tim and Johnny. Yeah, love it. It's understandable. It's between those two. I mean, those particular directors and actors have had such an influence. I mean, I'm probably going to have to give it to Scorsese De Niro because the thing about Tim and Johnny is I love Tim, but I'm not a big as big a fan of Johnny and his work per se. So if it's about the combination. Probably Scorsese De Niro. I mean, thank God you said that. Yeah, because we, we would have gotten canceled. We just, we just destroyed. <laughs> and we walked in here, and, and the guy who originally greenlit our show here, former producer of the network, um, we were like, we're doing actor-director combos. He's like, well, it's just, it's just De Niro and Scorsese, right? There's no, There's no question. So I think it's probably the correct choice. I mean, you have... You have one Oscar plus another what, one, two. Th- you have three Oscar nominations for best actor in that list, plus a best Oscar, best picture win and or, a best actor win or a best actor win. I mean, yeah. To say. yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's uh, you know, that's hard to beat. And not only that, but like the ones on here that are not as special, like special by accolades. Yeah. Right? Like I love Casino. I love it. It's not even probably in the top five of this list by most people's standards. And I can't get enough of it. Right. And we're saying that, you know, Raging Bull is a movie that we all picked on. It's like Raging Bull it's is a Raging movie we're Bull. picking on, you know. <laughs> you know? So, right. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. So that is par- – I mean that's going to wrap up our directors and actors uh, combos. I, I think probably gun to my head I would have to say Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese yeah. if I didn't have time to explain myself. <laughs> so leave your guys' thoughts in the comments below. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you're hearing a clip of this episode on audio, whatever, you want to see it. You want to see how completely shredded our guest here is and, and actually see him in person. Go to the YouTube page. Go check it out. Uh, um, you guys can find the full video on Action Industries. You can find a clip of this on Collider's uh, movie movie podcast network on their YouTube channel. Yep. Um, and, uh, and and go we, watch Dumbo. Yeah, go watch it this weekend. It, it's super fun, and we just we're so appreciative you came by, man. This was and so much fun. Don't hate me after you watch a movie. No, no. you guys, you guys see how I am sweet an of a guy he is playing a role. <laughs> 
yeah, he's like, this guy. Hopefully, I'll be, I won't be banned from Disneyland. I was watching yeah. the end of it. I was like, dude, can he just give up already? Like, damn, go home, <laughs> Skelly, go home. Well, I was kind of dragged out the house, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, one more time, let's give a hand for Joe. Thank you thank for coming you so by, much, man. Thank you so much, Joe. See you guys thank next you week. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Bye. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just 2 bucks on the one 2 3 menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.